0: I'm excited to be here. Amen. We um to start off the new year. And um, how many of you are wishing for 2020 back already? <laughs> Woo. I want to start out by saying uh, welcome to our online family and the church is beyond these walls. And we're thankful for that, that the gospel isn't confined to a building um, it's everywhere and I'm thankful to see the gospel spreading all over the place and and hearing about new people joining every week online so we're thankful for all the people that consistently join us online, View Recovery Center Fort Detrick Fire Department and then all the, all really all over the country that are joining us and new people coming on uh, every week I want to let you know that um, that I did not sometimes it looks like when I preach a sermon I'm responding to something that's happening but what you have to understand from my side of it that I have typically wrote the sermon before the thing happens now I'm not Nostradamus by any stretch of the imagination so so we plan out sermon series and, and, and those things and and, and I'm not waiting till Saturday night to, to write a sermon or download one from the internet <laughs> but it is uniquely God to cause you to write something that's uniquely suitable for your circumstances and so what I want to talk to you about today um, I hope you'll give me a little bit of grace I don't know where you stand politically and I really don't care Can we just get that out of the... What I'm going to talk to you today has nothing to do with politics. Although that's what we're consumed with right now. Has nothing to do with the virus, really. Although that's what we're consumed with right now. It has everything to do with the prayer Jesus prayed and how we would be as a church. Because listen, if the church is fractured, the world has no hope whatsoever. And Jesus prayed a priestly prayer. He said, man, he didn't say it like that. That's a paraphrase. (laughs) He said, Father, if they could be as one, as you and I are one, then people will believe that you sent me. If there's ever a time where people need to believe Jesus is real, it's right now. If there's ever a time, amen? If there's ever a time where people see the church unified, it's right now. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, it's part of our core values. And if you go, I didn't rearrange the core values. If you go on the website and look at the core values, unity is number one on the core values. So we, we talked about it towards the end of last year. Hey, we're going to start at the beginning of the year talking about core values. We're going to do a sermon series under the hood. And we're going to get into this thing and really make sure that we've got the, got the basics down at the beginning of the year. I didn't know all this crazy stuff was going to happen. I should have, but I didn't. So we're going to dig into that this morning. And I did this to the first service. <clears throat> i give you three seconds to get up and leave. If you're online, three, two, one. All right, you're here for the duration. <laughs> Continue to pray for the team that's going um, to Chattanooga, Tennessee. I believe the church should be generous for their time and talent, and uh, I'm super excited that that we figured out a way to pretend people to go there and help rebuild a house that was uh, somebody's house was devastated by a hurricane last year. So I'm praying for them. Um, some of them are just getting back from vacation and heading down there. Some of them, um, some of them are traveling, traveling and traveling up to there. Uh, but I'm excited. It's a great team uh, of people, and I believe the gospel is going to be represented well. Also, join a Connect group. Uh, if you're not in a connect group, you should be. There, um, there are opportunities for growth. I, I joined a marriage connect group. Man, we need it. Oh, dear God, pray for us. <laughs> how I'm still married and still a pastor, sometimes I'm like, I don't even know how this keeps going. No idea. I will say this. I am married to the best I know all of you put down Instagram, Facebook, best wife ever. I don't even post, I'm like, it ain't even worth posting anything. <laughs> so, we have some bonus material for you. Uh, on all these core values, I think there's a way that you play these out, not just in the church, but in your marriage. If you're not married yet, you should watch them. If you're thinking about getting married, you should watch them. And then with your kids. Uh, so Beth and I sat down last week and we recorded um, a couple videos and they're not, they're not long, but just some insights that we've had over the last quarter century uh, over the last quarter century. So raising kids, we have some adult kids now uh, about how to be unified in marriage, how to, how to be moving in the same direction, even though you're two different people. Can I say this? God didn't call you to be not yourself after you got married. Just unified. And you can be yourself and unified with the other person. That's still themselves. By the way, nobody signs up to get married, signs up for marriage so the other person could change them. That's in the video too. But then also how to play out unity in front of your kids, how to teach your kids unity. And, and we think that's super important. You know, we, we talk about your family first. I don't care if you beat the devil out of each other in here. When you go outside, your family. Amen? <laughs> that happened. So we talk about marriage and unity. And marriage, unity and marriage and unity uh, with your kids. Uh, so there's two short videos. So they'll be available, I think, tomorrow. Sometime on, on social media and um, and on the church website. So be checking those out through the week. But we're going to dig into unity in the church today. It was Jesus' prayer. And so we're going to look at that. Amen? Are you ready? Say amen if you're ready. Stand up. We're going to read Philippians chapter 2. We're going to honor the word by standing. Paul is imprisoned. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he says this in verse 2. having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Father, we thank you today. Thank you, Lord, that the church is the place you set up for everyone else to look at. It's your bride. You've dressed us up for the world to see. And we pray, Lord, that we'd be unified with each other and with you so that when the world looks at us, they believe Jesus is the Christ. Lord, we pray that we'd be more like that because we were together today. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Now, I told you last week, I'm I'm a little bit of a gearhead. I like working on vehicles. Uh, I, um, I have an old 1973 Ford that I work on, and uh, I lowered it last summer, so down the ground, put an old cap on it, and um, you're not a fan? I'm, I'm a huge fan. So um, I like it. It's got an old V8 four barrel V8. I got to do some work too. I got to put a new clutch in it this spring. I like doing that stuff. Uh, my dad taught me when I was growing up that after I got my first car, which was an Escort L. Anybody remember the Ford Escort? Anybody remember the L version? It was not luxury. It didn't stand for luxury. It was like lowest model. So I got one of those it had roll up windows, no air condition. I put like a thousand dollar stereo system in that thing. Somebody stole it out of it when I was in school in the middle of the day in Inwood, West Virginia. There's people there. In the middle of the day, busting my window, I stole my radio system. They could have left the radio there and stolen the car, and I would have lost less. <laughs> my dad taught me back, in the, back uh, when I first started driving. He said, son, you, you better check the oil on this thing. How many of you are are car familiar, like working on cars, raise your hand. Raise your hand. You heard the term, you know what a dipstick is, right? Okay. Now we now for you non mechanical people, dipstick is something else, but um but for those of us who, who like cars and things like that, every now and then you have to pop the hood on the car, and what? Pull the dipstick out. Correct? There's a, you don't just look at it, there's a purpose. Pull the dipstick out, you wipe it off. You make sure the car's cold, not running by the way, or you're gonna get a false reading. So, and make sure it's level. That's another thing. I know some of you like to park your car on a hill and act like it's full. It's not. You pull the dipstick out, the car's level, it's cool You pull the dipstick out, you wipe it off once You might want to consult your, your owner's manual to figure out the markings on your dipstick Because a lot of dipsticks might have an L for low and, and, some, uh, in a, and an F for full Or some of them just have lines or some of them I've seen have holes in them So you, you have to know whether it's a quart low or, or whether it's full or You don't want to overfill it either so he says, "Son, you gotta change, check the oil." So, so you pull the dipstick out, wipe it off, stick it back in, pull it back out, and then you read it. You never take, you never, never read the first pull. So um, what I figured out was that was a nece- ne- necessary part of driving a car. Anybody ever met anybody who was like, "I don't know, it just stopped." <laughs> Would you check the oil? It's got it had it in it when I got it. I never remember being so furious. You remember that car we bought um, a couple of years back, and and we our, our daughters have been we're in we're in Morgantown, WV. We were driving back and forth to and we were in Morgantown one time. This was less than a three year old car, and and so I'm even kind of a gearhead guy, and I thought it's like two and a half years old. Well, I'm gonna check the oil. I mean, I change it when it says change it, but why, why, it's kind of a new car. The thing starts making a tick noise while we're in Morgantown. That sounds like a low engine noise, low oil noise. I pull the dipstick, it's not even on the dipstick. And I'm like, <laughs> So I go into the store, get some oil pour in it, and, and everything, everything calms down. I get online, I start reading forums about the car that we had bought two and a half years previous. And everybody's saying that the car uses oil so much. I want to go back to the Honda dealership and say, you you never told me that. So I realized on any car you buy, it's going to require popping the hood, checking the oil in order to drive it a long time. Or you can be one of those people that went, I had oil when I bought it. Our lives are the same way. We talked last week about the drive of the car versus the paint of the car. And we can, we can paint our lives up beautifully. But if we're not popping the hood every now and then, pulling the dipstick and, and checking, checking how much gospel is in us. Checking the level of grace. Checking the level of forgiveness. Checking the level of unconditional love. Checking all those things. Then, then we can... We could drive into a time like we're experiencing right now in the motor lock up. And so we're going to be popping the hood. And this was not planned by anyone except that we were going to walk through the core values and unity was the first one. And so I sat down and wrote the sermon and then I started watching the news and I was like, "Ooh, wow. So Paul says this. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So that's sort of like a rhetorical question. He's not asking you if it's there. You could kind of replace if with since. Since all these things are there. So he goes through these first couple lines here and he says, if you've experienced these, so he's, he's not, he's not questioning whether you have. It's rhetorical. He's saying since you've received these from God. So let's go down through them. What is he saying? If you've had any encouragement in Christ since you've had, since you've been encouraged by Christ. Now, now let me explain to you because encouragement today means a little bit something different than maybe what Paul meant. Encouragement today means whatever you do, whatever you think, wherever. Just like, oh man, you're so great. You're awesome. Keep failing. You're great at it. That's not the encouragement he's talking about. He's actually talking about exhortation in the word of God. he's, He's talking about you remember what you've been taught. If there's been any encouragement, you remember what Christ said and you remember what the apostles said after Christ. You remember what you've been taught by us. He says... You remember what Jesus said, you remember what I said You've been shown how And told how to live He said Christ has encouraged you how to live So he said if you have received Direction on how to live Since you've received direction on how to live So that's number one If you've you've received encouragement on how to live So then what's he go to the next thing? He says if there's any comfort from love. Any comfort from love. Paul knew that the Philippians had experienced the comfort associated with the love of Christ. Lived out through others. The unconditional love of God brings comfort in all circumstances. Paul was arguing that the comfort they had received should drive them towards unity and away from divisiveness. Now listen. Paul's not saying that your circumstance Automatically got comfortable. We've talked about this, that your circumstance automatically got comfortable after you came to Christ. But it says, because Christ loved you in the circumstance should give you comfort. Amen? So the comfort that I receive is not that I've made all the right decisions, but that even in the midst of wrong decisions, Christ still loves me. Amen? So he says, if you've been encouraged by how to live, If you've received unconditional love from Jesus while I was a sinner, he died for me. That gives me comfort to know that when I make a mistake in the future, he's not going to ditch me. He's not going to run away. He's not going to be surprised. By the way, God's never surprised by you. Your spouse may be, but God's not. He says, if you've received any love, and if we're in the body of Christ, we, if we're If we're found in Christ, we've all experienced that comfort from love. He said, if you had any participation in the Spirit. Any participation in the Spirit. Now listen to me. Paul is saying here that the unifying force of the church is the Holy Spirit. Now watch. The one thing that I hope every single one of us have in common beyond beyond. What our favorite food is, what our favorite music genre is, where we live, what kind of vehicle we drive, uh, what political stance we have. The one thing that unifies us beyond all of that is the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's something we can all have in common, regardless of whether you like the way I dress or not, or whether I like the way you dress or not, or whether I, I like your cooking, or whether you like my cooking, or whether... Nothing else. He says, if you have any participation in the spirit, watch this. You do realize that we could be unified by anything. We could all get up from here right now and say, let's go rob a bank. Anybody? And somebody would say, look, the whole church robbed a the bank. <laughs> they were so unified. Look at them. They all agreed until we started splitting up the money. Then you know we're going to have trouble. You could be unified slandering a neighbor. You could be a unified lover of bacon. That's serious. Get on a Facebook group over that. Paul is not talking about just being unified. He's saying that the unifying force of the church is the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God living in you. That's what That's what makes us all the same at the cross. That's how you get in. That's how I get in. That's how everybody gets in. That Jesus is in us. The participation of the Holy Spirit is the unifying factor. Then he says this. Oh, it's also um, whether you like Tom Brady or not, (laughs) which somehow got into the uh, playoffs again. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. He wraps it up. He said affection and sympathy. Paul's reminding them of the tenderness and compassion they had experienced in the church. Affection and sympathy are necessary ingredients for unity. The ability to understand someone else's circumstances. So Paul does this since you have all these things. Since you've experienced all these things. Since you've participated in all these things. Be of the same mind. Same love and full accord. Paul wanted the Philippians to be unified together for the purposes God had laid out for them. You see, unity is not just for the sake of, well, let's all get together and feel good on a Sunday morning. The unity of the church is to advance the gospel, is so that more people than just us receive all the things that we've received. So how can we advance the gospel if unity first doesn't exist in us? So he knew there were some outstanding divisions in the church, in in the Philippian church. Matter of fact, later on, I think in chapter 4, he talks about two ladies who are in a fight. Euodia and and the the S word lady. S-Y-N-T-C-H-E. We call her Cindy with an S. (laughs) Paul talks about these two women in the context that they had labored in the Lord together with him. They had worked together to advance the gospel with him and now they've had a falling out and he's appealing to the church in chapter four to bring them back together in unity. Now, he, in chapter two, he's saying, he's saying, listen, this is important. You've all experienced all this stuff. You've all experienced the love of God, the comfort of God. You've all like, you've all been, uh, had the exhortation to live right. You, you've all had the participation of the Holy Spirit. And, and he's pointing to a divisiveness in the church between two people. And he's saying, I need you to get them together. Because people on the outside are looking inside at how you treat each other. And if you treat each other like they do, then this Jesus thing doesn't even look real. So he's saying, I understand. By the way, by the way, by the way. You do realize we can disagree and still be in unity. Yeah, I'm right. (laughs) No, that's not not always true. (laughs) Disagreement doesn't mean we have to be... In disunity, disagreement means we have to figure out the path to keep moving forward. So Paul's not painting a picture here that we can't disagree with each other because that's going to happen. Amen. Come on. Somebody's been married a while. Amen. We still together. But we disagree. Paul wasn't so concerned about the fact that they were disagreeing. Paul was saying that it can't bring it to Disunity. Which is a totally different thing. When the church decides we can no longer be together, we have to go opposite ways, then we look like the world. So he's saying, I need you to bring these two people together for the gospel's sake. And I and we need to figure this out. So he says, you've received all these things. I now make my joy complete, be in one mind. One love, one full accord. And then in verse 3, he gives us some practical things. Watch this. Called a practical unity. He says, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count count others more significant than yourselves. Listen, if there's ever a time in our world right now that we need to be putting others before ourselves, it's now. You know what? I've told you this before. The older I get, the more I want it my way. I'll just be honest with you. I don't have patience anymore. They say you should get more patience the older you get. I'm like, nope. Nope. I've lived long enough to get the way I want it. Yeah. Anybody else reaching that age where you're like, "Yep, yeah, work long enough, live long enough, raise the kids. Now I want it my way. I don't want any toys in the living room. I want only my channels on the TV. I don't even want to have to look for it. And you f- And you start to think, realize that the gospel is the exact opposite of that. All through the gospel, the underlying message is that Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. That even even God coming to earth was about others. And so Paul says, practical unity works itself out like this. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. You know what he's saying there? If you're going to do it for selfish reasons, just don't do it. Just don't do it. If you're gonna do it for an ulterior motive, just don't do it. Here's what he's, here's what you have to remember Paul's coming from. Chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul's in chains. And you know what happens when somebody gets locked up? Somebody else gets to take your place. It says, he says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it has become known throughout the whole Imperial Guard and to all the rest of my, that all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. So he says, I'm locked up right now, but here's what has happened. Because I've been locked up, the whole Imperial Guard and everyone else has figured out I'm here to advance the gospel. That's a testimony. He says, that's a good thing. I've been, I've been able to put it in the right context. I'm not down in the dumps because I'm locked up. I'm excited that all these people are hearing the gospel now. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's saying it's even produced boldness in, in those who aren't locked up. He so said most of my brothers are out there preaching the gospel with more boldness. Because I'm in chains. So he's writing to the Philippian church going, hey man, it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. Ha! Then we get to verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Then Paul, in that context, Paul gets to chapter 2 and he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. He says, if selfish ambition is motivating your actions, it's better not to do anything. He says, unity will never come from selfish ambitions. Paul's imprisonment was emboldening those who were preaching Christ for Christ's sake. The others were being negative about Paul's imprisonment to advance their own status. You know what I figured out a long time ago? I don't have you to I don't need you to do poorly for me to do better. Okay. So there was a whole bunch of Paul's friends that were like, "You know what? He can be bold in prison, we can be bold outside of prison. And we're going to preach this gospel, and we're going to see it go forward, and we're not going to be afraid." And then there were some people that went, "Ha ha, Paul's in prison, time to collect an offering." It says they were taking advantage of him being locked up. Well, Paul can't come out here and, 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 and run all these churches now, so we're going to step into in Paul's absence, and we're going to become the big shots, and we're going to get the gain from it, and we're going to do all these things. Now, at the end of the day, Paul went, eh. you know what he taught the church? Don't wish somebody to fail so that you can succeed. So, remember what we're talking about. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Don't, don't, if we're going to be unified, I need to put your interests as just important, if not more, than my own. So all of a sudden, I need you to succeed for me to succeed. Come on. So this is wholly unique to the church. Nowhere else do you find this. You don't, you're, if you're in the corporate world right now, you don't look at your you don't have the salesman next to you going, "Hey man, I hope you outsell me this this month." <laughs> I hope he dies. <laughs> Just waiting on you to mess up. So I'll take his account. I'll take his, I'll take her account. The church, Paul says, is the unique place where we can cheer each other on, and all of us make it. Amen. So when you do well, I'm excited. And when I do well, I hope you're excited. Like we can just cheer each other on. When I say, well, I don't know how they did that. They don't deserve that. You don't. But God decided to give it to you anyway. Isn't that awesome? Long time ago, I quit figuring out whether you deserve it or not. Because I noticed everything that God gave me, I didn't deserve. You know how you can be unified a lot easier? Quit worrying about if somebody deserves it or not. Just cheer it when God blesses them. (laughs) It takes the pressure off of being judge and jury. I just started saying, good for you. Good for you. I'm thankful that God is blessing your life. If your kids listen better than mine, good for you. If your marriage looks better than mine, psh, no chance. You know what else I found? If the church down the street does better for us than us, come on, there's old days of another church has to suffer for, an, for one church to make it. That's crazy Satan talk. We're the church. And so when a church succeeds... We should rejoice. And when they don't, we should mourn and figure out how to bring it back to life. We should be for the gospel going forward. And when the gospel goes forward, everybody wins. Amen? So Paul says, if you're going to do it for selfish reasons, don't do it. Don't do it. Nobody has to fail for you to succeed. Then the next thing he says is value others more than yourself. Put others' interests before your own. I hinted at this last week. This is so hard for us. If Satan can drive a wedge in the church, he is one. You do realize that, don't you? If he can... If he can keep us separated. Let me read you Jesus' prayer. John records it. John, reco- I'm making the people in the back crazy because this isn't in order. John chapter 17. Flip all the way back to the beginning. People in the back, thank you. John chapter 17, verse 20. Jesus prays this exact thing. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about us. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you hear that? The world is going to believe that you have sent me. I need the church to be one. Mm. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Paul comes along later and says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let each of you not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Value others more than ourselves. And I'm going to tell you something, in a place where you're free to do whatever you want, when you want it, that's a difficult thing to do. I told you last week, the gospel actually restricts our freedoms, it doesn't give us more. Because as soon as soon as I hold a freedom up above somebody else's needs... As soon as I hold a freedom up above somebody else's interest, as soon as I say, look, I'm putting what I'm allowed to do above what concerns you, I have, I have messed with the gospel. Because Jesus came in every political circumstance that was going on in Israel at the time, being, being a subservient to Rome. Jesus served people with leprosy. He served prostitutes. He served Sinners and drunkards, and he served people in the Roman government. Ooh, I wish he hadn't done that. I wish he would have made it a lot easier for me. Just tell me which political party's right. And then I could just be angry all the time. (laughs) It's so fun. I could be an angry Christian for the right reason if he told me which one was right. Now I know you know which one 's right, and your neighbor knows which one 's right, but which one of you are right <laughs> so so what what happens in our country is the gospel runs headlong into what we believe, and we go, "I have the freedom, but oh, wait a second, Paul addresses this let me let me get to this let me get to this first Corinthians chapter ten verse twenty three he says this. He's dealing with a subject just like this. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Did you hear that? It's like when my kids turned 18. Drive them down to the convenience store and say, Hey, you're 18 now, you can smoke. Let's do it. This is gonna be awesome. Why are we doing this, Dad? Cause it's legal. And then we're gonna go do some other things. Why? Cause it's legal <laughs> and wait till you're twenty one. Woo! Oh, body. Paul says it's all lawful. He's actually quoting the term of the day. It's all lawful, but is it really helpful? He says all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So what happens as Americans is we have to, we have to lay our American liberties at the feet of the gospel and find out if we're hurting somebody with them. And I know that's hard for me. But it's the gospel first because the gospel is the only thing that saves. It's the only thing that delivers. It's the only thing that sets free. It's the only thing that restores. And if I put my faith and hope in anything else, I get disappointed. It was a little lackluster, but some of you joined, so that's... Look, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not even saying it's popular. But if the church crumbles in America, in the face of political turmoil, why would anybody think Jesus is real? If we can't come in here and put each other first, why would anybody think Jesus is real? I'm reading a book right now. It's a, it's a devotional book by a guy named Oswald Chambers. Anybody heard of My Upmost for His Highest? Come on, that was, that's a really popular Oswald Chambers book. I, the fortunate heritage, my great-grandfather... Um, died about 20 years ago. He was 91 when he died. And, and he was an unbelievable man of God and had a whole bunch of commentaries and books. And, and he left me a bunch of them. And he, I, I got this book from Oswald Chambers that I, I couldn't find anywhere else. I started Googling on the internet and and, and it had, um, and there were some reprints of the paperback. Uh, but I've got this one that looks like it was copyrighted in 1936, and my granda, my great grandfather had, had highlighted in it, and all that stuff. And and it's like, um, it's like I, I'm reading, I'm reading it and finding out what he found was important. It's really neat. I think it's a really rare book. If any of you want it for, I don't know, three or four thousand dollars, I'd be willing to sell it to you. <laughs> and you can have his outlines. Oswald Chambers the other morning. Last week, before any of this stuff happened, I read this. He says, the direction of divine living is that I identify myself with God's interests in other people. Did you hear that? This is not about you putting other people first. This is you about putting what God is interested in first, and that's other people. If I'm more like Christ, I'm more concerned with the people Christ is concerned with. And less about me. So Oswald Chambers says this. The direction of divine living is that I identify myself with God's interest in other people. And he is interested in some funny people. You and me. We see the humor of our heavenly father in the way he brings around us. The type of people who are to us. What we have been to him. I'm going to read that one more time for you. We see the humor of our Heavenly Father in the way He brings around us the type of people who are to us what we have been to Him. Now He will watch how we behave to them. How did Jesus treat us? With infinite patience and with an amplitude of forgiveness and with generosity. Now He says, Treat them the same way. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now this is where, this is where it gets real. Never try to be right with an abstract enemy. But get right with the enemy you have got. It's easy to talk about loving the heathen. Never go off on the abstract. The direction of divine living is that I have to be as kind to others as God has been to me. Not the others I have not met, but those that I have. I read that last week and I started thinking about this. The church has to be consumed with unity. And the way we do it is never doing anything out of selfish ambition and always putting others before ourselves. Now, Oswald Chambers says this. He says, watch. He says, the funny thing about the gospel is that God surrounds you with people that treat you like you have treated Christ. (laughs) And you thought the gospel wasn't funny. And I immediately started thinking about people around me. And I went, I did that to you? That's strange. I'm going to go ahead and apologize for that. Because it doesn't feel good. He's saying, there's nobody around you that hasn't done anything to you that you haven't done to Christ. And how does Christ treat us? With an unbelievable, unending, never-ceasing amount of grace and forgiveness and charity. And he says, now, the, the hope of the gospel is that the church turns around and treats each other like that. Oh, it's so hard. He says, what we have to do is not fight an abstract enemy. He says it's not about treating the person you haven't met yet, right? It's about treating the person you have met, right? Okay, so watch this. Lean in just for a couple more minutes. I'll even invite the band up to show you I'm serious about quitting. (laughs) Here's my contention. 99% of the people in here today, if you're upset... About what's going on It probably has less to do with your immediate circumstance And it's more abstract This is my reality I watch the news just like everybody else I saw what happened I've seen the whole thing I'm upset I'm like... I realized Me being upset about something I can't control Hurts the things that I can You don't have to say amen. I'm I'm just being honest. If I can't come in here and this 60 wide by about from here to the back is about 70 feet, if I can't get along with the people in here, no matter what you view, your view of the last week's events is, then then it's not going to happen. So, I don't want to fight with you about the abstract. That's what Oswald Chambers is saying. I need to treat you like Jesus has treated me. And if the abstract thing I'm upset about causes me to treat you poorly, maybe I'm just preaching to myself. That's fine. I'm glad all you could gather to hear it. What I'm saying is, the church can't afford to break apart because our country is going through difficulty. Jesus didn't say, church, stay together so that your country could see and get better politically. No, he said, stay together in unity. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition and put the other person beside you, their interests before yourself. Why? So that they would believe that I'm Jesus. Now, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know the church historically has been really good at being unified politically. Oh. The church has been really good at throwing all its weight behind politicians and political movements. But we have not been as good at putting other interests first. So what happens is, as long as the church... Is separated as long as we're dividing up, as long as we're, we're like, well, how do you believe about this? And how do I believe about this? Then the gospel can't go forward the way Jesus wants it to go forward. And my contention is we become weak and, and disintegrated. And that's not what he called us to be. So he said, listen, that's why he told us you don't fight like everybody else fights. You don't fight with flesh and blood. Satan is trying to separate us all Satan is trying to divide the church Satan is trying to make us incompetent and Jesus prayed Lord make them one so here's what that means stand to your feet we're going to close with this here's what that means ah for the sake of making some people mad listen I don't want to make anybody mad here's what this means and I'm not being flippant when I say this at the end of the day, if you don't agree with me politically and I don't agree with you politically, I'm not being flippant. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. All I care about is that your relationship with God is moving forward and mine's moving forward and we can move forward in that direction together. Because there's no amount of of Americanism or politics or whatever you want to call it that's going to save anybody. It's that stuff Paul talked about at the beginning. He talked about, man, if you've been taught, if you've experienced the comfort of love, if, you've, if you know the affection, sympathy that comes from knowing Christ, if, you're, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit, that is the stuff that hooks us all together. And if every morning I can wake up and put you first, before me, if I can care about you before I care about myself, and I'm gonna tell you something the church will be a force that no political movement in the planet could reckon with, that no, no devil in hell could stop. If we would put each other first in the gospel and say, you know what? You won't, I don't care what they, you won't talk about one of my friends like that. We're the church. Jesus said, if you do that, They'll believe I'm me. And there's never been a time ever before where people need to believe he is who he says he is than right now. Amen. Father, I ask you today. This is hard, Lord. This is hard. You've made us passionate about so many. You gave us, we live in a great country. We have so many freedoms and we don't want to see that go. the gospel to advance today Lord and I pray for people like me who are so anxious about all these other things that we would be able to put you first, that we will be able to put others first Lord and we will be able to see see lives changed not from a political allegiance but from a gospel allegiance Lord, we pray that there be a great outpouring of your presence on our city, on our town, on our state, on our country. Lord, but we pray it would come through the church. It would come through us loving each other the way you taught us. And we pray, Lord, that that would impact our neighbors, our enemies, everyone, and that you would receive the glory. We thank you for it. We thank you for the energy and the power to do thing we pray. Come on church could you give him praise and honor this morning? He's good. Hey listen, encourage somebody. Be the church to somebody this week. We'll see you back here next week.